The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna add ya. Tanagas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on February 18th. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White. And today is a huge day, not just because it's our relief pitcher preview, but I have in my possession an updated version of Kokomo Friday, which we will play at the end of today's podcast. Huge shout out to our buddies, Doc Kratzer and Dave Scaff for putting it together. It is truly amazing. Move over, Adam. There's a new host in town. I, Scott, I, I kind of feel like this is my, my coronation onto yeah. the podcast. You're you're included in the new version of the Kokomo Friday song. Yeah. No, this is great. This is a momentous occasion. Everybody, everybody will want to listen through to the end because of that. As For, if, you know, as, as if they don't have enough reasons to. Oh, yeah. I mean... You know, who doesn't want to hear my uh, sleepers outside of the top 480p by the end of this podcast, right? A relief pitcher. I mean, <laughs> who does it? We got to talk. We got two Barlows to talk about. We got to talk about Scott, not me, but Scott Barlow. And we got to talk about Joe. Oh, we have a lot to Joe talk Barlow. about. A lot yeah. to talk about indeed here, Scotty. Today on the show, it's our relief pitcher preview. We're going to try and figure out who these closers are. We're going to hit some ADP reviews, sleepers, breakouts, busts, sparps. Those are starting pitchers as relief pitchers holds targets, and more. But, Scotty, eventually we had to talk about relievers, and I realized it's probably not the smartest idea to do this this early in the offseason, but, you know, it's where it fit into the schedule. We have to do it eventually. I'm sure we'll do multiple updates to these position previews. Obviously, once the lockout ends, it's going to be fast and furious signings, trades, and and hopefully uh, more bullpens will shake themselves out and and closer situations will emerge as well. So we'll do some updates, but uh, we're going to give it our best, Scott. We're going to try and figure out who are the the closers as of today. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I, I think, yes, it seems bad to do it now when so much is uncertain, but I, I think just given the state we're in, uh, the place we're at with bullpen rolls and um, the way managers handle them. I, I don't think, I, I think there's going to be a lot of get, guesswork regardless. I, I mean, we need clarity on where Kenley Jansen signs. We need clarity on where Craig Kimbrell's traded, presuming he is traded. 
Uh, but those are the main things we're going to find out between now and opening day. I don't know that we're going to like right now. There are, in my estimation, uh, ten surefire closers for the thirty teams. And then there are, for a lot of teams, there are guys who I, I feel pretty confident saying they're the closer. But we, it's never been made official, and I don't think it will be made official before opening day. So we're we're just gonna we're gonna have to continue to play hunches for a lot of these bullpens. And let's talk about the state of the closer, Scott. Before we get into anything else, any strategy discussion, any ADP, just what is going on right now in baseball? We know that this is a huge point of contention when it comes to fantasy baseball. Obviously, saves and steals for those who play in category leagues, head-to-head categories, roto. Uh, it's a really, really tough category to nail down because over the past couple of years, Managers have been moving more towards closer by committee. So what does that mean exactly? They're using multiple closers. They're using two or three. They're playing the matchups. They're not necessarily using their best reliever in the ninth inning. They might be using that reliever as a multi-inning setup reliever, something like that. So we've seen all these different types of usages at the back end of bullpens. And I'll give you an example. So in 2018, we had 1,244 saves, 165 different relievers, attained those saves. In 2019, that number went down to 1,180, and 199 relievers attained those saves. So think about that. The number of saves has gone, has gone down. The number of relievers getting those saves has gone up. So that's yeah. why we are seeing less and less of these true closer studs that we've seen in the past, you know, 40, 50-plus saves. I mean, you'll be lucky to... Get 30-plus saves out of your your first closer on your fantasy team. It's really just the nature of the position. You look at last year as well, 1,191 saves, 198 different relievers uh, picked up those saves last season. So again, it's much like 2019 where saves are going down, but more relievers are picking up those saves. So that's why it's honestly tougher, Scott, to, to pick up saves in your fantasy league as a result of that. Uh, uh, it's tougher, tougher to, to do... Pick up saves. It's tougher to do with a set number of relievers on your team. Unless you're continuously cycling through these relievers that are getting all of these different saves, there's just mm-hmm. not as many singular closers that are getting 30-plus or honestly even 20-plus yeah. saves anymore. Yeah, I, I guess it's it, it's hard to feel confident when you pick up a guy for saves that he's actually going to continue getting saves. I, I do think it's an oversimplification, though, to say a lot of teams are going by committee. Yes, more relievers are getting saves, but there are more factors contributing to it than that. Um, among them is just I think managers have a quicker hook. So what I see less is pitcher A get, gets the save one day, pitcher B gets the save another day, pitcher C gets the save another day. Like that—that's what I—that's what I think most people think of when I commit when they think of committee, what I see is pitcher a is the go-to saves guy for three weeks. And then he does something that loses the manager's trust. And so pitcher B becomes the go-to saves guy for however many weeks before he loses the manager's trust. If you're talking true committee, I think Seattle had that last year, the Mariners. Mm -hmm. I think the Rays had that last year. They, they pretty much have pretty much have it every year. Uh, at least that Kevin Cash has been there. 
you know, maybe the Orioles, but they their, their save chances were so infrequent. And we never really got a good grasp of what they were doing. The Tigers, maybe, though I, I, I do think A.J. Hinch had stretches of the season where he played favorites between Gregory Soto and, and Michael Fulmer. Uh, but I, I'm not sure any of the others were committees. Uh, maybe the Reds. The Reds, the Reds were, the that, Reds that were a mess. Just, I, I think the Reds was partly just everybody was so bad that they tried there that they, they, they never did stick with anybody. Now, for a lot of the year, it looked like the Royals were going with the committee. Mm-hmm. They finally settled on Scott Barlow. Um, and there are a few other examples like that, teams where it was up in the air for a very long time, but then the manager did eventually settle on a guy. And so I, I think most are still inclined to do that. But yeah, quicker hooks, uh, more teams that just have no interest in having a good enough reliever that they can really settle on a guy because everybody's just bad. So that contributes to there being quicker hooks as well. You mentioned a lot of managers like to have their best reliever in a more flexible role. So that means the guy in line for saves isn't as good, which makes him more vulnerable. Uh, so there, there's a lot going on here, but your your overall point is right. I just I just want to I just don't want people to get you know I just don't want to reduce it to a committee because I think I think that gives people the wrong idea about how it's playing out. All right, let's talk relief pitcher strategy, Scott. So in a standard five by five roto where you start nine pitchers, there's usually a nine hundred to one thousand inning pitched minimum for the season that you have to attain from those pitchers in your starting lineup. What is your usual breakdown in that league? Is it six starters and three closer hopefuls? Obviously, you know, maybe you'll have one closer that you feel really good about. Maybe two other speculative kind of guys. Is it seven starters and two relievers? What's your usual breakdown in that format? So optimally, six starters and three relievers. If you have three save sources in a 12-team league, if we're assuming there are 30 save sources, which obviously it's it's dicey, but theoretically there are 30 save sources, 12-team league. Uh, that means if you have three save sources, you're ahead of ahead of the game. Not, not everybody can have three save sources. But because of the way uh, because of the way things have changed at relief pitcher and the way saves are distributed now, it's it's a long shot that you're actually going to get three. So, you know, it kind of depends how deep the league is. Obviously, if we're talking about like a 15-team league, like so many in the industry like to play in, I, I do think you probably need to go after a, a, a more surefire safe source and, and maybe even get two of those guys. If it's a 12-team league, though, where you can trust yourself to pick up some safe sources off the waiver wire a little easier in that format and you're not going to get these crazy fab bidding wars like you get in a 15-team league, then I'm okay not getting a closer at all. Of course, that's not the goal. The goal is three, but it just kind of depends what they're going for. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to sacrifice anything I'll genuinely miss for saves. And and if if that means I get left out, particularly in a shallower league, so be it. I'll I'll figure it out as the season plays out. I I think that's I think that's the right approach still, not paying for saves, even though it seems like the trend this year is to is to pay up for saves. Yeah, I was going to wait until later on to talk about that, Scott, when we get into ADP. You know, some people, you might see that 
someone like Josh Hader or Liam Hendricks is going in the fourth round on average right now in 12-team leagues. Or you might see screenshots on Twitter where people are taking closers in, in the third round. What I'll say about that, a lot of drafts that are going on right now over at the NFBC, those are draft and hold formats. There's no waiver wire. So very clearly, the quote-unquote safest closers are going to be pushed up the board because there are no waiver moves. Like, this is it. Your draft is everything. You draft 50 rounds worth, and that's it. That's your team. So you got to find a way to get saved somehow. So that's why they're getting pushed up in that format. But I do think in normal standalone 12-team Roto Leagues, you might see a Hater or Hendricks in in the fourth, maybe the fifth round, but not earlier than that. I I mean, I I can't speak to the to like the macro data, but it, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing them go fourth round, sometimes even earlier, even in leagues that aren't draft and hold. I, I think, yeah. I do think you're right that that is helping to elevate the ADP, but maybe it's kind of a circular thing where the ADP gets pushed up there. And so people start drafting them there. Uh, and, and, you know, a, a, another reason there's an incentive to do that is because like I'm saying, there's only 10 surefire save sources right now. And um, people who are drafting right now, if, if they're committed to drafting right now, then they're not going to see how things play out in free agency and whatever. So they exactly. they don't want to pay for saves that aren't actually saves. So the the ones who seem most likely, who 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 really do seem secure in those closer roles, are are being elevated unlike ever before. Yeah. So I perfectly said, Scott. Th- those fringe options right now, the. Dylan Floros, the the Barlows, we kind of think that those guys are the leaders for their respective teams, but there's still a lot that needs to shake out in free agency, trades, once the lockout is is ended here. So because of that uncertainty, again, the quote-unquote safest closers are being elevated to a level that we haven't seen in in quite some time. Maybe, you know, I feel like a Maybe three or four years ago, Kenley Jansen, Aroldis Chapman, these guys were elevated, but it's been a while since we've really, really seen that. Uh, but yeah, Liam Hendricks and, and Josh Hader, rightfully so, those guys are head and shoulders ahead of the pack. Personally, for me, I'm with these guys. I like six starters, three relievers in the Roto format, and uh, I typically like to get at least one of the top you know, six or eight closers, that, that hero relief pitcher strategy. Someone like the Ryan Presley, Emmanuel Class A. Kenley Jansen's probably the cutoff. I think wherever he winds up, he'll be the closer. Uh, and then obviously, I'll take some speculative options later on. But I do like to get at least one option that I feel really strong about in that format. Uh, before we get to relief pitcher strategy in a head-to-head points league scout, which is very different than any type of Roto or Categories League, what is a SPARP? So SPARP is an acronym. It stands for Starting Pitcher as Relief Pitcher. It was coined by Anando DeFito when he worked with us at CBS and uh, hadn't been exposed to too many points leagues, I I don't think, at that point, and was um, disgusted by the practice of starting (laughs) a a guy who was actually in a rotate, actually had a rotation spot, starting him in a relief pitcher spot and, and taking advantage of the volume that uh, that is rewarded so highly in points leagues. Uh, so they are in high demand in that format for the reason I just gave. Sometimes I think too much is made of that because, yes, a good starting pitcher is better than a good closer, but the key word there is good. 
Right. And a lot of times the Sparps guys who obviously pitched in relief enough last year that they could retain that eligibility just aren't in a position to uh, to accumulate the kind of stats needed to be a good starting pitcher at the major league level. Uh, my favorite by far this year is Ranger Suarez, but there are there are a couple others who are interesting. Yeah, and we'll get to those names in in just a little bit here. But um, I'm assuming, obviously, Scott, you like to draft Sparps, but what is your overall relief pitcher strategy in head-to-head points leagues? Liam Hendricks was amazing last year. He scored 503.5 fantasy points on CBS, which would have ranked as the SP12. It was a little bit of an outlier performance. He threw a ton of innings. He had eight wins, so that obviously contributed to that point total as well. You look at the next tier, Josh Hader and Rysel Iglesias. Those guys would have been more like SP20 through SP24, so a low-end SP2. In a points league, what is your overall strategy here? Do you want to grab two Sparps, or is it maybe a mix and match, one Sparp and one closer? It depends on the depth of the league again, but if we're assuming 12 teams or potentially even shallower, which is... That's what most people play in. So again, let's do the math. Usually in usually in points leagues, it's two dedicated relief pitcher spots. There are theoretically 30 closers in the majors, and only 24 of them are going to, to be in people's lineups. So there's more than enough to go around. And that's before you add in the Sparps, who are also advisable starting options at relief pitcher in this format. So there's plenty of relief pitcher depth in a points league. I mean, you mentioned, Scott, there's only 10 surefire closers. Are, so yeah, well, once, that's once we thing. get past like, that 10, it's it's kind of, you know, it's kind of shaky. In a role that's as volatile as this is, that changes on a at the drop of a hat like this one does, how much is assurance worth? I I I think generally it's a bad idea to p- play up to pay up for assurance. You know, that if a guy holds a closer role all year, I mean, it's mostly, it mostly comes down to how many saves he gets that, how valuable he is, especially in points leagues. Um, Cause you don't, you don't get that, the ratio help, however small it is in categories leagues, you don't get that at all in points leagues. So it mostly comes down to how many saves he gets. And if a Scott Barlow, for instance, is the closer for the Royals all year, very likely the number of saves he gets is going to be similar to a Rysel Iglesias. And he could, t- he could finish ahead of Rysel Iglesias potentially. Now, he's not as assured of keeping that job or even having that job from the start. But again, they're changing all the time. And in a league where that many, that, that so few relievers are going to be started, uh, there's just not going to be a huge demand for the newcomers on the waiver wire. So long story short, Yes, I like to get quality Sparps in a points league if I can do so at a price that I feel is appropriate. But failing that, I just take whatever's left. I just take whatever's left at reliever. Like I might might go reliever with my last two picks. Yeah, I think we did a head-to-head points mock draft last week, and I waited very late, and I wound up with, I think, Mark Melanson and and Craig Kimbrell, which, you know, it's not flashy, but... Uh, I think it could be. Kim- if, if, if Kimbrell is a closer, he could be he could be the best closer, theoretically. Yeah, so it's not flashy, but it should be able to get the job done. Who are the top Sparps to target this season in head-to-head points leagues last year? Quite bad for Sparps. We're going to, all right, let, let's get past that one and let's move forward and see what we can get. 
Ranger Suarez, got who you mentioned, Luis Severino. Obviously, if he can come anywhere close to the pitcher he was back in 2018, could yeah. pay off huge value. I, I, sh- I shouldn't have said Suarez is my favorite by far because Severino's not that far behind him, and Severino has more upside probably. Yep. The other names that I saw, and feel free to add any any that I miss here, Scott, but Cal Quantrill with Cleveland, Drew Rasmussen with Tampa Bay, Zach Thompson and Jose Quintana with Pittsburgh, seemingly going to be in their rotations. Are they going to be good? Probably not. I would bet on bet on them not being great. Uh, these are maybes because I'm uncertain whether or not they will start for their respective teams. Michael Kopech, Adbert Alzali, Nestor Cortez, Christian Javier, Andrew Heaney, yuck, Tyler Beatty, Taylor Hearn with the Texas Rangers. Scott, was there anyone that I missed or anyone that stands out for you as a spark this season? I think you named some who aren't. So it's 10 relief pitcher eligible. 10 relief appearances to retain relief pitcher eligibility into the following year. So I know Adbert Alzali, he only got eight relief pitcher appearances. Mm. <laughs> Not to topple your research. It <laughs> sounds very thorough. <laughs> but here's who I have, okay? Ranger Suarez and Severino, you mentioned them. Cal Quantrill, yes. Michael Kopech, who's a maybe for whether he's in the rotation. Aaron Ashby, Alex Reyes, Drew Rasmussen, who I know you mentioned, Christian Javier, Nate Pearson, um, the Blue Jays guy, David Price, Carlos Hernandez of the Royals, Reynaldo Lopez of the White Sox. It's probably going to be him and Kopech swapping out of that fifth spot, I would guess. And then A.J. Puck of the Athletics. So I'm not sure about some of the ones you'd name, and I'd have to look them up one by one probably. But yeah, uh, the standard at least in CBS leagues, is 10 relief appearances to retain RP eligibility into the following season. Well, Scott, I will point out that what I did was uh, I used your dynasty league and did relief pitcher projections, and then I just sorted by game started. So I just assumed anyone that was there had RP eligibility. So maybe not, Sorry. but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully those guys do. Uh, obviously, like I mentioned the Pirates guys, I don't know if they're going to be good, but you know, maybe as a two starter, as a SPARP, something like that. Uh, lastly, let's quickly talk about strategy in head-to-head categories league, Scott. Obviously, the wild, wild west, you can employ a marmol strategy if you'd like. I'll explain it in just a little bit, but uh, theoretically for you, how many relievers do you like to have in your starting lineup in a head-to-head categories league? Uh, pr- pretty much the same as a roto league. It it maybe less because what you could do in a head to head categories league is is look at how many your opponent is starting the next week. But I at least like to have the option of being able to slot in three closers. And if you know my opponent only has one or whatever, obviously I I, I probably want to go with all three in that week. It depends how how my starting pitchers are looking too. Yeah, I like to have at least four in a head-to-head categories league in my lineup. Two surefire closers, maybe another spec closer, and maybe just one reliever that's going to give me really strong ratios, lots of strikeouts. Typically, those go very late in your league, assuming that holds is not part of the categories uh, that obviously you're uh, competing in. But uh, yeah, as a result of that, like you're, you'll be able to get a, a Devin Williams or a Chad Green or a Paul Seawald, someone like that, pretty late in those formats. And you could just leave them in throughout the course of that week and pick up any strikeouts, ERA, whip help that you can possibly get. Yeah. Uh, the Marmol strategy, by the way, in case you're wondering, it's it's been used by many people uh, over the past, I don't know, 
decade or so. When you don't even know who Carlos Marmol is. Oh, Frank. Scotty, I am well aware of Carlos <laughs> Marmol, former reliever of the Miami Marlins. Carlos Marmol, is that right? Chicago Cubs. 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 Okay, I said it I don't, so confidently. He may have pitched for somebody else. <laughs> primarily the Cubs. Man, now I've got to look it up because it, you don't know who Carlos Marmol. Oh, is. Oh, I I know. I I, I remember. The, the, the struggle that was. He, he did in his career with Miami. Made okay. 15 appearances with an 810 ERA. So <laughs> hopefully not part of the Marmol strategy then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, what is this? In a head-to-head category league with either no weekly innings minimum or a low one, you use your first 10 or so picks on hitters. You don't draft a single starting pitcher unless your league requires you to do so. If you must draft a starting pitcher, you target ones late that have innings pitch concerns, but good ratios. From rounds 11 on, you focus on the remaining closers and high-end setup relievers with strong ratios. You punt wins and strikeouts, but your offense is theoretically good enough that you should win uh, the hitting categories and ERA whip saves most weeks. I have never used this strategy to success but I know that many people have. So it's an option for well, those who play in head-to-head categories leagues. Yeah. What makes relying on relief pitchers challenging beyond the whole who's getting saves win thing, which, you know, that that in, in traditional fantasy leagues, that adds a ton of volatili- volatility on its own. But the sample you're dealing with is always so small. Uh, so, you know, Paul Seawald... Chad Green, you mentioned his high end middle relievers. See in Seawald's case, there might be some saves there as well. But what happens if they're terrible in April? Which you is stick with them? Which is definitely a possibility because and, there's so much variance year over year when it comes to reliever performance. Yeah, and, and Seawald, of course, doesn't have any kind of track record. Green has pretty good track record, yep. but Seawald doesn't. What if they're terrible in April? Do you stick with them trusting? that it'll even out or or you know do you move on to whoever else is whoever the new Paul Seawald looks like on the waiver wire and then if you do make the switch what if the new Paul Seawald <laughs> then you know goes belly up and 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 falls apart himself like you're kind of you're kind of chasing the nature of the position the nature of the role you're kind of always chasing the hot hand. Yep. And um, hopefully you eventually land on a guy who remains consistent for the rest of the season, but it's there's no guarantee of that. It, 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 it can definitely be a self-defeating strategy beyond just the fact that you're limiting your upside in certain categories. Yeah, I, I think maybe looking at matchups too, Scott. I mean, find whoever's facing the Pirates and, and the Orioles in, in a given week. I don't know. It's just like, obviously, like there is so yeah. much variance, uh, not just year to year for relief pitcher performance, but week to week, obviously. You're right about that. So, you know, finding guys who have done it for a couple of years now who have the track record, you just hope they continue to build on that. But, you know, Devin Williams and Chad Green are the ones that probably stand out most for me. Paul Seawald, you're right. He really only did it, did it last year, but he was like, Really, really awesome. So, well, and Devin Williams, case in point, you, you mentioned, oh, well, he's a sure thing. Uh, he struggled early he, last year. He did finish strong, yes, but as late as early June, he had an ERA over four, you know? Yep. I hear you. It, it's look, this is what makes relief pitcher such a, a, a tough position here, Scotty. Let's do a quick exercise and keyword quick. So let's try to breeze, breeze through this here, Scotty. We did it last year, but I, I think it's useful for the listeners to hear us just kind of talk this out. 
Let's try and figure out how many definitive closers we can name on each team. Before we do that, just a reminder that all of these relievers are currently free agents. Kenley Jansen, Ian Kennedy, Ryan Tapera, Richard Rodriguez, Brad Hand, Brad Boxberger, Adam Adovino, Alex Colome, Michael Givens, and Craig Kimbrell should be available via trade. The White Sox did pick up his option, but they signed Kendall Graveman, who will most likely be the setup man there, and obviously they have Liam Hendricks, so they should be yeah. able to get a pretty decent return for Craig Kimbrell. I think all we're really looking at from that group being potential closers are Kenley Jansen and Craig Kimbrell. And uh, I, I would say they're likely closers going into the new year. But of course, it, it depends who they end up with or in Kimbrell's case, if he's traded at all. Yeah. Ian Kennedy, I'll point out, he was really good last year. So maybe some lower end Until team. he joined the Phillies. Yeah. Maybe he joins a, a lower end team on a one-year contract. He pitches well the first half and then they look to flip him for some kind of asset, whatever it might be. I'll, I'll say the same thing about Brad Boxberger. I know Brad Bo- Boxberger has been around for a while. You look at the numbers. He was really serviceable last season. So again, maybe some lower end team brings him in and then tries to chip him out midseason, something like that. Let's start with the American League, Scotty. And of course, the Yankees. They had seven different relievers with a save last year. Aroldis Chapman led them with 30 saves. And as of now, Chapman is definitively the closer, right? Yes, he's one of the 10 I keep referring to. I know you're worried about him, but yeah, there's no question who the closer is right now. More on that in uh, just a little bit. For the Red Sox, they had 10 relievers with a save last year. Matt Barnes led the team with 24 saves, and then he imploded in the second half. So I think this one's pretty up in the air right now, Scott. Matt Barnes, Garrett Whitlock, I think they're a candidate to either sign or trade for somebody as well. Yeah, those are the two leading contenders, but I agree. There's This is, uh, this is a very much up in the air. Garrett Whitlock would be probably the first reliever I target there, but late. Yeah, Garrett Whitlock was awesome last year. Shout out to the Red Sox, stealing him away from the Yankees. He was the Rule 5 draft pick, so. Great, good job. For the Tampa Bay Rays, they had, wait for it, 14 different relievers with a save last season. Diego Castillo actually led them with 14 saves, and then he was traded to Seattle out of nowhere, and then wasn't the closer for Seattle. So it was just a kind of a weird situation all around. Andrew Kittredge looks like the front runner, but... We know the deal here with Tampa Bay. Uh, I think Pete Fairbanks could be involved. They have JP Fireisen. They have JT Chargois, who pitched well last year. So, yeah, this one, you know, it's Tampa Bay, Scott. Yeah, it is. But, I, you know, if, if depending on the format, if it's late, I, I don't mind taking a shot on Kittredge. I think he, particularly if, if Colin McHugh is gone, he's a free agent currently. Kittredge is clearly the best reliever in the bullpen, and... He was getting more consistent chances down the stretch, so I, you know, I, I doubt it's it's going to be a situation where he becomes the the guy, but I, I could see like twelve to fifteen saves with strong ratios for him. Yeah, I, I I'm not going to completely rule out the possibility of drafting him. I think if you wind up with him late as your third closer option, just a speculative type guy. Totally cool with that. The Toronto Blue Jays, they had nine different relievers with a save last season. Jordan Romano led them with 23. And as of now, Jordan Romano, Scott, is definitively the closer, but the key word is for now, or words. Yeah, he's one of the 10. He's one of the 10 for me. And uh, as things stand now, I like, I I don't think the cost for him is so bad. I, I think he's Certainly a deserving closer, but the Blue Jays do seem like 
the sort of team that could make a play for Kenley Jansen or Craig Kimbrell because they're trying to trying to get over the hump. They really should have been a playoff team last year and weren't. So they they might they might go the extra mile to to just improve around the margins like that. But presuming they don't, Romano Romano's a solid one. For the Baltimore Orioles, six different relievers with a save last season. Cole Solcer and Cesar Valdez led the team with eight each. It looks pretty fluid to me, Scott. Tyler mm-hmm. Wells, Cole Solcer, I think they're probably the top options, but there's not a lot of save opportunities to go around here. They had the fifth fewest in baseball. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the story of them for them in recent years, pretty much ever since... Brandon Hyde's been managing them, so we, we really don't have a good read on how he's going to handle this situation when there's something to play for. Uh, yeah, I agree between Wells and Solcer, but not not a big investment. You shouldn't be making a big investment in either. It's a complete mess. By the way, Brandon Hyde hasn't had a reliever with more than 11 saves in his two full seasons as manager. So he's been there 2019 through 2021. I'm not counting 2020 because whatever, shortened season. But he hasn't had a reliever with more than 11 saves. It just seems crazy to me. It's, uh, uh, man, Brandon Hyde. He's kind of like the face of closer by committee matchups. And, and plus the Orioles just haven't really been good. So that, that obviously impacts that. The White Sox had five with a save. Liam Hendricks obviously led the team with 38. He is, yep. you know, one, one of two, one A, one B, whatever you want to say. Yeah, with Josh Hader. Right. And obviously one of the 10. For sure. Uh, next up, we have the Cleveland Guardians. They had five different relievers with a save. Emmanuel Class A led them with 24. And even if James Karinczak bounces back, Scott, I think it's definitively Emmanuel Class A's job to start. Yeah, he ran, he ran away with it in the second half. He's His, his, uh, his um, fastball might be one of, like, one of the most GIF-worthy pitches out there and just impossible to square up. You can understand why he had a 127 ERA last year. In my mind, he's one of the 10. For the Detroit Tigers, eight different relievers with a save. Gregory Soto led the team with 18. Now, Scotty, earlier in the offseason, everybody thinks that it's Gregory Soto to be the closer for the Tigers because two days after the season ended, A.J. Hinch had this to say, quote, Gregory Soto is our closer. But then he added, but he might pitch the 7th, the 8th, or the ninth." And sometimes the sixth. So there, I said it. Go with it. First tweet wins. And apparently this was some kind of running joke that he had all season with the press because they would constantly ask him, who's your closer? Who's your closer? And he would never give an answer. So he did that mm-hmm. right after the season ended. And I think some people who play fantasy baseball might have taken it a little bit too literally. Plus, Michael Fulmer yep. was just better when he pitched. Yep. Yep. That's 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 what aggregation does, right? You. You rely on the aggregator to give you the context, and and sometimes they leave some out. So, yeah, no, I never bought it anyway, because it it just doesn't match up with the way Hinch handled his bullpen at all. And and in fact, by the end of the season, Michael Fulmer was getting the majority of the save chances, not Gregory Soto. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's I, I guess there's a chance Michael Fulmer could be put in the rotation again, though. There's not. A clear opening for him. So I suspect, and unless the Tigers are a team that makes a play for Kenley Jansen or Kimbrel, I suspect, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I would, I would probably draft Michael Fulmer ahead of Soto actually, but not invest that much in either. All right. So that one is open for the Kansas City Royals. They had eight with a save last year. Scott Barlow led them with 16. 
And it certainly seems like it is Scott Barlow's job to lose. He had six of the yep. final saves in September. I will point out Josh Stallmont was very solid for the team as well. Yes. But Barlow had been their best reliever, I think. Uh, no. Well, I mean, certainly all of last year, he was their best reliever. And you mentioned he had the last six saves. Really, it goes back. Basically from well, basically from July on, he was their closer, basically. Mm-hmm. Would you say that he is definitively the closer? Are we giving him that designation? No, okay. because it's... what. So I, I wrote a closer strategies piece. I wrote a strategies piece for every position on CBSSports.com, and I had different categories that I grouped these relievers in. Surefire closers are the 10 I keep referring to probable closers is the next group and that includes Kenley Jansen and Craig Kimbrell it also includes Scott Barlow so I feel pretty good about him being the closer but Mike Matheny I don't think he ever actually said as much Mm -hmm. and uh yeah I I I, there there's still a little bit of a question there all right for the twins seven different relievers had a save last year Alex Colomay led them with 17 saves he is a free agent no longer with the team and it looks like Taylor Rogers will be there to start, but uh, they did have three different relievers with nine plus saves last season. So I'm assuming this I, is not definitive either. Yeah, I think Rocco Baldelli wants to be a committee guy, and Taylor Rogers. Um, I, I like Taylor Rogers, man. <laughs> I mean, we've seen him hold down the role more or less in past years, but it, he didn't. He didn't really get that extended look last year. Of course, they had. Relievers who aren't there now, like Alex Colome. Um, and boy, who is, who is their closer for what? Like Hansel Robles? Hansel I think. Robles, point to the yeah. sky. Every time yep. uh, he thinks it's a pop up, it's a home run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to endorse Rogers, but he does appear to be the best option in their bullpen as it stands now. All right. For the Astros, they had six with a save. Ryan Presley led them with 26. Uh, Ryan Presley, definitively the closer, right? Yes, one of the ten. All right, so we'll, uh, we've got five to this point. Let's keep on moving. The Angels, they had five with a save. Riceley Iglesias led them with 34. He re-signed in the offseason. He is one of the definitive closers, correct? Yep. All right, the Oakland A's, they had five with a save. Lou Trevino led them with 22. It seems like Trevino will be the front runner. Sounds like they're going to blow this team up. Maybe they trade him away. Uh, Diolis, yeah. Guerra, and AJ Puck were the other names that I were looking that I was looking at in this bullpen. So Trevino started out as the closer and then lost his job toward the end of the season, but nobody else really stepped up, and some of them are gone now. Some of the others they tried there. I I suspect they'll default to Trevino, but I don't say that with a lot of confidence. And as you said, that he could end up being traded himself. For Seattle, they had eight with a save, three with double digits, and Drew Steckenrider led the team with 14 saves. Good luck figuring out this one. They have Ken, oh my goodness. They have Ken Giles, who is coming back from Tommy John surgery. They signed him last offseason to a two-year contract. So to me, it sounds like they were planning on him being the closer of the future, but now they have Drew Steckenrider, who was good last year, but lack of strikeouts, and the peripherals, not so great. Paul Seawald, awesome. Lots of strikeouts, but not much of a track record. And then they have Diego Castillo, who does have the track record, but was not used as their closer much last season. So, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I, I think there's somebody else too. Um, uh, Andres Munoz, who throws over 100 miles per hour, I believe. Yeah, maybe. He got some closer of the future hype with the Padres and uh, and is coming off Tommy John surgery himself. So yeah, they, they have a lot of different directions they could go there. Toward the end of the season, it did seem like Scott Service was showing a slight preference for Drew Steckenrider in the ninth inning. But Steckenrider is probably the fourth most talented pitcher in that bullpen. So, And, and especially given that Service likes to mix it up, I don't. I don't have much confidence at all, at all in him being the guy. Uh, I honestly don't know who I'd draft first year. I guess Steckenrider, just because I think he'll get the, he'll, he'll have the early advantage. But Seawald and Giles might be the the might both be better long term plays. Ken Giles, baby, the Madman. <laughs> Remember a couple of years ago, it's like punching his face coming off the mound in Yankee Stadium. It was- what, what's going on here? The Texas Rangers, they had five with a save. Ian Kennedy led them with 16. Uh, Joe Barlow looks like the front runner, but far from a sure thing. Yes. Yes, it's it's a similar situation to the other Barlow, Scott Barlow, except I just think Scott Barlow's better and more likely to keep the job because of that. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, so through the entire American League, 15 teams, six of them I have as definitive options. In the National League, for the Mets, they had six with a save. Edwin Diaz led them with 32. He is definitively the closer, right, Scott? Yep, one of the 10. One of the 10, indeed. For the Nationals, they had four with a save. Brad Hand led them with 21. He was traded at the deadline. And now it seems like we're left with Kyle Finnegan versus Tanner Rainey, which is not very good. It's, oh, that is an ugly closer battle. And then they, they, I think they could also sign or trade for somebody. They could, but I don't think they're looking to contend at all. So they may not. And uh, I could see that team being a good landing spot for an Ian Kennedy or, or Brad Boxberger type. Yeah, that could happen. I, I would say I would give the slight edge to Rainey now because I think he's, I think there's more talent there than Finnegan, but he was just awful last year. Sure so was. I, uh, this is not this, this is not a bullpen where I'm looking to invest much of anything right now. For the Phillies, they had seven with a save. Hector Neris led the team with twelve. This was a mess all season long for Philadelphia. They signed Corey Knebel in the offseason. He seems like the front runner, Scott. I think maybe they can add another piece as well. As of now, Knebel is the guy, but is it definitive? No, but it's probable. I put him in that same category as Scott Barlow because the day. Well, because of the skills, first of all, and because also the day they signed him, Dave Dombrowski, was, who's, who's running the Phillies now, was quoted as saying, they're not looking to acquire a closer. 
which a lot of people, myself included, took to mean because we just got him. Mm. All right. Well, that would that would help us. Hopefully, look, Corey Knebel when he was healthy a couple of years ago, he was he was pretty awesome. So uh, I hope I hope it works out there, and we we get another closer for fantasy for the Atlanta Braves. They had four with a save. Will Smith led them with thirty seven. He's one of the definitive closers. He is one of the definitive ones, though. I I think he's less certain of keeping the job than some of them. I don't think I don't I don't think of him as like a closing stud or anything, but he's. He had the job all year last year. It was a true closer role. So yeah, he's one of the he's one of the ten. For the Marlins, they had three with a save. Dylan Floro led them with fifteen, and it seems like it's Dylan Floro as of now. But I'll point out a few things. I think Anthony Bender is just a better reliever, and they've been linked to Kenley Jansen. So, oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Floro is not the most talented reliever in that bullpen, but he got the job after they traded oh, I'm forgetting his name now. Yimi Garcia. Yeah, Yimi Garcia to the Astros. He he's, he started out as the closer after he was gone. It was it was just Floro's job, pretty straightforward. So, uh, and, and he did fine. So, I I actually have him among the probable closers as well. Okay, but not definitive, probable uh, as of yeah. now. We'll see if they yeah. sign somebody. For the Cubs, the Cubs, they had 12 with a save. Craig Kimbrell led them with 23. Obviously, they traded him away, away to the White Sox. This is pretty gross. It's Rowan Wick, Cody Hoyer. Maybe they signed somebody. I don't know, but it's wide open. Yeah, yeah. I would say Rowan Wick is the front runner there, mm-hmm. but I don't know that in a 12-team Roto League, I'd be looking to invest much of anything in him. For the Reds, they had 10 with a save. Uh, Heath Hembry... And Michael Givens led them with eight each. Lucas Sims leaks, uh, looks like the front runner, but Art Warren, somebody I will talk about later on, had a 19% swinging strike rate and closing experience in the minors. Uh, I think this is kind of open, Scott, but Sims is the front runner. Yes, it did seem like there were stretches last year where David Bell wanted to turn the job over to Sims, who certainly has the strikeout ability. Uh, to to stick in the role, but there were some injuries and, and there were just some ugly outings that kind of blew up his ERA. So I, I think it could be Sims, but Warren is the sort of alternative that I think they were looking for all of last season. And I could definitely, I, I agree, I could see him claiming the role at some point. For the Brewers, they had six with a save. Josh Hader led them with 34. He is one of the definitive options in fantasy. Uh, 1A or 1B with Liam Hendricks, obviously. For the Pirates, they had three with a save. Richard Rodriguez led them with 14. He was traded away to the Atlanta Braves. And now it becomes David Bednar versus Chris Stratton. Kind of interesting, Scott. This is obviously not a definitive situation, but Bednar is far and away the better reliever, but Stratton had seven of 10 saves after Richard Rodriguez was traded. So... Yeah, maybe he so, starts. Right, start starts out as the closer. That, right. that that's how I think you have to, unless we hear something different uh, as they're gearing up for the season. Obviously, I think you have to approach it as if Stratton is the guy to start out. But like we, it's like we were saying for the Miami uh, bullpen, Floro versus Anthony Bender. Floro's got it. Bender's better. I think. I think this is a more extreme version of that. Stratton isn't as good as Floro. Bender's, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, Bedner 
is better than Bender. Bender, <laughs> the Pirates option, is better than Bender, the, Mar- the Marlins option. But they are both very talented. So, uh, yeah. I mean, again, this is yeah. this is where we're at in terms of bullpen usage right now. It's it's tough. Not you know the the best reliever doesn't always become the closer right now. Uh, for the Cardinals, they had seven with a save. Alex Reyes led them with twenty nine. He imploded late in the season, and Giovanni Gallegos just picked it up, man. Eleven saves in September. He's been amazing the past couple of years. Finally got his opportunity. I think he's the one to start. I don't think it's definitive because. Alex Reyes and, and Jordan Hicks are still looming there. Yes, they are. Gallegos has been the Cardinals reliever, like their their best reliever three years in a row now. And and he's gotten chances to close, including at the end of last season. They they don't seem to want to stick with him in the role. Like they seem to prefer to keep him versatile, multi-inning guy, setup guy. I, I do have him as a probable closer because he finished so strong and because they haven't brought in anyone new yet. But I don't feel totally confident he's going to hold on to that. Um, if if Alex Reyes doesn't win a rotation spot because he's in the mix for that, if that doesn't happen, then of course he's going to be a threat to to Gallegos, as will Jordan Hicks, who at one point looked like the the uh, the long term closing option for them before Tommy John surgery and everything. For the Diamondbacks, they had eight relievers with a save last season. Joaquin Soria and Tyler Clippard led them with six each. Six each. I mean, <laughs> it was so bad. The Diamondbacks were just a dumpster fire. They so go then out, they signed Mark Melanson. Yeah, who, look, we have questions about, obviously, he's older. He kind of faltered a little bit down the stretch, but he's he's been the guy. And I think he is one of the definitive options he right is, now in fantasy. He is one of the ten. He's clearly the worst of the ten in terms <laughs> of ability. And situation because part of the issue was the Diamondbacks so rarely had a save chance. <laughs> didn't they have didn't they have a stretch where they lost like 29 of 30 games or something? Yeah, I, I think they had either I think it was like a six week span where they didn't get a save in fantasy Scott. Yeah, it was awful. It's crazy. I find crazy. out exactly what that was. But anyway, but yeah, I mean there there are clearly like Melanson's gotten the job done and probably will again. It's just how many save chances is he going to get? Fair question. For the Rockies, they had four with a save. Daniel Bard led them with 20. This is, I think, pretty wide open. Carlos Estevez, Daniel Bard, they could sign somebody. I think Robert Stevenson is a dark horse candidate here as well. Yeah, it was... Who was it at the end of the year? It was... um, Carlos Estevez. Carlos Estevez, who's not very good. No. But nobody's very good. No. So... (laughs) Estevez is the favorite going in, I would say, but another one like Rowan Wick, like Chris Stratton, just not not interested at all. All right. For the Dodgers, they had 10 different relievers with a save. Kenley Jansen led them with 38. Uh, Blake Trinan, we can't say definitively, Scott, because they could still re-sign Kenley Jansen or they could trade for somebody. Uh, but if they don't do that, um, let's say a month from now, then Blake Trinan would be the definitive option. It's just, we can't say it yet. The Diamondbacks had a stretch last summer where they lost 31 out of 33 games. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> okay, so you were asking me about which bullpen? The Dodgers. The Dodgers, yes, yes. So they could bring back Jansen, obviously, or trade for Kimbrell. I mean, the, the Dodgers, they could get whoever they want to close, basically. They could go trade for Josh Hader. That's been rumored for years. But if they don't, if for some reason they want to cut costs here, 
then yeah, I think Blake Trinan becomes the obvious choice and, and would become a very attractive choice. I mean, it's possible once Dave Roberts is free of of the expectations that go with Kenley Jansen that he'll he'll wanna he'll wanna go all Kevin Cash with it and maybe Trinan wanna get all the chances. But I mean, as the backup closer last year, he got seven. So like that's pretty good getting seven saves with the team who has Kenley Jansen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and, and obviously the the other numbers are great. 199 ERA, 0.98 whip. Yeah, definitely a, along with Jansen and Craig Kimbrell, I, I think Blake Trinan is the other reliever we're, we're most anxious to find out what happens next with. And in terms of just bullpens that we're anxious to find out what happens next with Scott, the San Diego Padres have to be up there. They had five different relievers with a save last year. Obviously, Mark Melanson was fantastic with them. He led baseball with 39 saves. This is completely open right now. Pierce Johnson and Craig Stammen were strong relievers last season. Denelson Lamette could be an option. They signed Robert Suarez from Japan. He performed very well there as a closer. Strikeouts weren't amazing or anything, but... In terms yeah. of you know Kenley or Kimbrell, I think the Padres are a prime landing spot for one of those guys. I agree. If I had to pick today who would be their closer, it would be <laughs> the guy they just... Well, they got him from the Cardinals, right? Gosh, I'm having trouble remembering his name. He just You just said it. P, uh, Robert Suarez? No. Uh, was it Robert Suarez? They signed him from Japan. No, it was... A, you know what the name is? It's Luis Garcia. Uh, yes, they, they did sign Luis Garcia as well. Yes, from the Cardinals. He throws yes. really hard. Yes, I think he's an option. Emilio Pagan, who's been a closer before, he's still there. Sure. I can't imagine if the if the Padres are looking to contend that that, that that's all it ends up being. Like, I don't know why they didn't just re-sign Melanson. I don't know why the Braves last offseason didn't just re-sign Melanson. It's not like he's getting a lot of money. But they didn't, so it's it's very much... A question mark right now, and there's really nobody I would pay much of anything for in the Padres bullpen either. Scott, it's like a game of hot potato with Mark Melanson. You don't want to be the one caught holding Mark Melanson on your team when he eventually, inevitably, I believe, implodes. I, I think it's going to happen. I, I just don't know when. Last team here, the San Francisco Giants. They had eight with a save. Jake McGee led them with 31. I think Camilo Duvall is the front runner, but could be a fluid situation. Could be. The Giants, like, Jake McGee really benefited just from an abundance of save opportunities. So the Giants led baseball with 85 save opportunities. Jake McGee got 31 of 56 converted saves. That's only 55%. So I know it feels like Gabe Kapler used him. He did use him the most, but he wasn't like a, you know, lockdown closer or, or even a closer who got... A ton of saves, Scott. Fifty-five percent of their saves is is not a a massive amount. Yes, but again, you have to look at why the straight saves were distributed like they were. Okay. Jake McGee was very much the closer in April, saved seven games, struggled in May. Kapler lost faith in him, started going with Tyler Rogers instead. Uh, regained his faith in McGee. McGee became the closer again, and then he got hurt late in the year, which allowed Camilo Duvall to step in and claim the role that he kept throughout the playoffs, even after McGee came back. So 
four stretches, Kapler seemed to stick with one guy. At first, McGee, then Rodgers, then back to McGee, then Duvall. It didn't seem like a lot of mixing and matching going on there. So I feel like Camillo Duvall, we can call him a probable closer going into the season. And it's it's going to depend a lot on his performance. Of course, I'm I'm hesitant to to put a lot of faith in in Kapler and how he's going to manage the bullpen, but <laughs> right. but he he really did seem to favor Doval in those high leverage spots last year, and I suspect he will going into this year too, especially late in the season, right? So September and the postseason combined, Camilo Doval finished eight games for the Giants. Jake McGee finished five of those. So. We'll see. I think it's Duvall moving forward, but I, I also think that Gabe Kapler has a quick hook, and you know, a younger reliever like Doval, it makes me a little worried. So just keep those things in mind. Let's jump into ADP here, Scott. And you know, obviously, we're not going to talk in depth about every reliever because we only have so much time. But let's start up top. And uh, first up, of course, Josh Hader and Liam Hendricks, who are both going in the fourth round of twelve team leagues right now. Josh Hader with an ADP of 42.5, Liam Hendricks at 44.3. There's obviously no concern over either one of these performance-wise, job security-wise. It's just, are you willing to use a fourth-round pick on either one of them? No. No. (laughs) No. I'm sorry. Saves just aren't that valuable. They're just not. There are other ways to get them. What, these guys are going to help in the ratio stats, I get it, but not nearly as much as your starting pitchers will. A lot of their contributions are going to be washed out by that. They're going ahead of the AL Cy Young winner last year, Robbie Ray. They're going ahead of a guy who hit 50 homers a couple years ago, Pete Alonzo. Like, it's just... I can't justify it. I can't justify it. It's it's. I understand why people are doing it, but it wouldn't be me. Sorry. Yeah, it's really the opportunity cost of taking a reliever this early and, and passing up on other players who you mentioned, Scott, like Pete Alonzo and Robbie Ray. Now, what if I said this to you the other day on our third base position preview? You said that you were willing to pull third baseman up the board because of position scarcity. Can't you make a similar argument for closers? You you can make that argument, but it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison because... As I was saying earlier in the show, you're primarily you're primarily concerned with save totals here, and if you're in a traditional league, and those are mostly tied to how often a guy gets to get saved. Like there are just there there are so many save options emerging on waivers. It's not the same at third base where there are these quality starting options emerging on at third base off the waiver wire all year, and it's it's not. The sort of thing where, you know, you could find the equivalent of a Scott Barlow who's going to potentially get 30 to 35 saves himself. Um, and, and then if he doesn't, okay, well, who's his replacement? I'll plug him in as my closer instead. You know, it's just not relief pitcher, closer. It's 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 its, its own thing. And it's 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 never it's never something you want to invest that much in. Just say it, Scott. Well, we're all thinking. It's gross. It's gross. Relief pitcher and closers are gross. It's it's tough to figure out, man. So I overall I agree with you. There's too much volatility for me to invest in that in that first group. I've never been able to do it. You know, that the second, third tier, sure, I'll be willing to jump in there. 
I've never been able to uh, jump in on on someone like I, Hater or Hendricks. On the rare occasion, and it certainly wouldn't be a year where they're going in round four, but on the rare occasion where I've tried it, it's backfired, you know, and and because they ended up not giving me what I thought they were going to give me anyway. Mm-hmm. So you know, they're they're not foolproof. I I understand Hendricks and Hater; they obviously have long, stable track records, but. That, that's going to make it extra bad if for some reason they don't live up to expectations. All right, the next group that we have here, four closers being drafted between picks 70 and 95. Rysel Iglesias at pick 71.5. That's the round 6-7 turn. Edwin Diaz at pick 84.8. That's the round 7-8 turn. Emmanuel Class A at pick 93. That's in round 8. Ryan Presley at pick 94.3. That is also in round 8. And Scott, in a roto or head-to-head categories league, this is where I want to live. I want to grab one of these closers. It's second tier, still kind of high in terms of opportunity cost, but obviously not as high as that previous group. And I think that these guys are all still really strong contributors across the board, strikeouts, ERA, whip, and saves. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I could at least see myself doing it, but for me, the opportunity cost is still too high. I, I would need these guys to, I would need one of these guys to fall a couple rounds for me to to take advantage, which is possible. I mean, it happens sometimes, but I, I I'm not going to be living in this range like you are. All right, uh, I'll point out a few quick stats here. Uh, Rysel Iglesias, some hiccups early on, but he was amazing from May first on, two point oh seven ERA. He actually finishes the RP two in both formats ahead of Josh Hader, so he was awesome last season. Uh, Emmanuel Class A. His final 32 appearances, he allowed 16 hits, two walks, and one earned run. He was yeah. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. So uh, if you have any concern over, you know, can I trust this guy? I, I, I think you could trust him. Ryan Presley is probably the one I find myself drafting the most. Might not be the most flashy of this group, but just rock solid. He's been really, really strong for uh, a couple of seasons. four past four years, really. A 2.48 ERA. 104 whip during that span since the start of 2018. He only had 26 saves last year, but it was pretty fluky because the Astros were blowing teams out. They just, I think they had the eighth fewest save opportunities, something weird like that, despite being as good of a team as they were. So year over Mm -hmm. year, that's not really a sticky stat. I mean, a team that's usually that good and, and wins that many games I would imagine there's more save opportunities moving forward. So uh, Ryan Presley, he goes the last of that group. He's the one that I wind up with the most. Four more names going between picks 100 and 125. A Aroldis Chapman at pick 102.5 in the ninth round. Kenley Jansen at pick 112.8 in the tenth round. Jordan Romano, 121.5 in round 11. And Will Smith at pick 125.3 also in round 11. All right, Scott, is this the group that you can find yourself targeting a closer? It's not a high priority, but yes. Yes, this is the group where I might I might actually draft here. Um, so we're talking about like round 10, round 11 in a 12-team league on average. And I'm okay with that because that that's the point where it's starting pitcher and you know all, all the hitter positions we see a, a drop right around that same range, round 10, round 11. So if if I'm really satisfied with what I've already built or if I just feel like anyone I'd be taking there would be n- not 
that clear of an improvement over somebody I could take three or four rounds from then, then I might go for the reliever. And most likely it would be Jordan Romano. Fingers crossed the Blue Jays don't get anybody else because if they don't, I mean, he could be he could be a stud himself. Or it would be Will Smith. Those, those would be the two I'd most likely draft. We haven't gotten to Kimbrell yet, right? We have not gotten to Kimbrell I yet. like the value of Kimbrell while, while things are up in the air for him. Obviously, it's a bit of a risk, but it, it, officially the White Sox want to trade him so he can close for somebody else. And his, his strikeout potential is still second to none at the position. So... Had a nice bounce back year overall. Struggled a little after being moved to the White Sox where he pitched in a setup role, but the overall numbers were still awesome. All right, yeah. Uh, look, if I miss out on the previous group, I do like to jump in here with the exception of Aroldis Chapman. Spoiler alert, he will be my bus when we get to sleepers, breakouts, and bus, and I will tell you why. Kenley Jansen, kind of a weird season for him. Like, the surface numbers were awesome, but the walks were also the highest they were since his rookie season in 2010. He had a lot of Babbitt luck as well, 213, but does a great job limiting hard contact, and his velocity jumped up in a big way. I mean, it was it matched a career high for Kenley Jansen, so we're kind of waiting for him to fall off this cliff. I know he's 34 years old, but he just continues to get it done, so uh, I, I don't doubt Kenley Jansen personally myself. Romano's awesome. Just want to make sure that they don't sign or bring someone else in. Will Smith, some hiccups, uh, but lots of job security, I believe, uh, at least until... Kirby Yates returns, Scott. I thought that was kind of curious that the Braves signed Kirby Yates. He'll probably return some point midseason, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Does that make you a little bit worried about how they feel, Will Smith, that they signed someone like Kirby Yates? No, I mean, Kirby Yates, you know, before having his elbow issues was, you know, somebody who could, you, you just look at his ability, how, how much he dominated as as a closer, yes, for the Padres, but you know, obviously, that would translate to any role. I think as long as Will Smith is getting the job done, they'd stick with him. And you know, I'm I'm not going to worry about a a guy coming off Tommy John surgery who at some point is going to be back. You know, months from now, like it it just doesn't seem like it's it's worth worrying about. If you're playing like a really deep league, like an NL only league, I could see stashing Kirby Yates away in the hope that that happens. But I don't think it's I don't think it's reason to shy away from Will Smith because by that point, so much turnover is going to happen have have happened in so many bullpens across the sport. You know? Oh, for sure. Picks one forty through one seventy. We see a mix of closer candidates, and we see our first two Sparps here as well. So Ranger Suarez at pick 140, Giovanni Gallegos at pick 145.8, Luis Severino 154, Mark Melanson at 167, and Craig Kimbrell at 169.8. Love that value. Love that value. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, even even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't work out, he doesn't get traded to close somewhere. Uh, you haven't given up that much, because what is that? Round wise, what is that in a twelve team league? It's We're like the like, 14, 15 turn. Yeah, they haven't given up that much, and he might still be useful for you just as a like a ratios play, as the White Sox setup man. If that's still where he is, so I love that value. I do want to mention for Ranger Suarez, in the leagues where you could take advantage of that relief pitcher eligibility points leagues, he's going to go earlier than that. He's going to go. What, what was his ADP like? One forty. 140 on the nose. 140, yeah. He's going to go more around 
probably 110, maybe even yeah. earlier. I was thinking 120, you know, maybe around 10, something like that. Yeah. Because people know. Yeah. Uh, I think that makes sense. Craig Kimbrell, by the way, Scott, if he is traded to a team and let's just say we know for sure, or, you know, we, we feel pretty good that he's going to be the closer. How much do you think the ADP jumps? Do you think he can get all the way up to like that? A role, this Chapman, Kenley Jansen range, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's probably about where he'll go. Yeah. There, there are going to be some concerns because he was, Kind of stumbled to the finish line as the White Sox setup man. People are going to be a little hesitant to draft him according to his upside. So, yeah, I think around Chapman, Jansen, who have similar, some similar performance concerns. I, I think that makes sense. So he'll jump about, what is that, 50 spots? Yeah, so Craig Kimbrell, 169.8. Yeah, I mean, it's about exactly 50 spots. So we're talking, you know, something like, Four rounds, four rounds of value for for Craig Kimbrell that you could potentially gain if you're drafting now, which, look, most sane people probably should not be drafting no, now. I will admit, not, like, not I, am somebody, I am somebody who is drafting now, but I'm not a sane person, so that, that's know, why I'm doing it. I, I, have not, I have not built an actual team yet, just mocked. Most people should not. Uh, all right, Scott, let's quickly hit on sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Obviously, this position is pretty tough to figure out, but do you have a sleeper candidate that you like at relief pitcher? So I've, I've pretty much given my reasoning already for all three of these picks. My sleeper is Dylan Floro. I think he's good enough to keep closing, particularly since Don Mattingly has shown an inclination to go with kind of um, atypical atypical relievers in that spot. I'm, I'm thinking, oh man, I'm having trouble remembering names. Brandon Kinsler a couple years ago. And, and Flora did fine in the role. So, you know, he could lose his job to Bender, but everybody could lose their job to somebody. So I, I think considering even in like those really deep rotisserie leagues where people are going crazy for the closers, you can get Flora really late. Like I, it, I've, I've, he's what allows me to get three probable closers even without having to invest that much in the position, because that's how Lady goes. 264th player off the board on average. All right, yeah. Uh, Dylan Floro, definitely a risk-reward candidate. I think you could say that probably about a lot of these uh, closer candidates that go at the point of the draft that he does. And my sleeper is Ken Giles. I know we mentioned the Mariners situation, but because it's so fluky and, and messy right now, you could even say, that has pushed the ADP on Ken Giles way down. Pick 363. So you can draft him very late in your drafts, probably as like your third closer candidate. And first month of the, into the season, you'll know. If he's involved, if he's pitching well, I think he's going to be the guy. I think they signed him to that two-year deal for a reason. Now, they probably didn't see Drew Steckenrider and Paul Sewald pitching as well as they did last year before they signed uh, Ken Giles. But the last time we saw Giles, he was still ridiculous back in 2019. Over 14 strikeouts per nine, 23 saves with the Toronto Blue Jays. So I, I love the value where he's going. If you play in very deep leagues, draft and hold, NL only, I mentioned the name Art Warren. His ADP is 534. It's very, very late. Uh, most people, you probably won't even have to worry about him all season. He pitches for the Reds, kind of a fluid situation as well. And he had a 19% swinging strike rate last year. Only 21 innings, small sample size, but he also has closing experience in the minors. So something that I'm 
kind of interested in uh, there. Art Warren <laughs> and Ken Giles. A breakout, Scotty, who you got? Uh, yes, I'm going to go with the guy I've mentioned probably more than anyone else to this point in the podcast, and that's Scott Barlow, who doesn't seem to be getting a lot of credit for appearing to claim the job in the second half last year. I mean, once he got it, he pretty much didn't look back. He's being drafted right around 200th on average, so still very late. 91 strikeouts last year. I mean, anytime you can approach 100 as a reliever, that that speaks to a lot of ability. 242 ERA, around a 1-2 whip. It's a little high, but everything else looked great. And uh, I don't see why Mike Matheny would go any other direction to begin the year. Can't say for sure. I mean, Barlow's not tested enough that I can say for sure he's going to keep the job all year. But I'll to avoid having to pay a premium for saves... I'm okay taking him as my number one closer uh, that late. Like if if I can get, uh, maybe it's more like my number two. I, I I've noticed a trio I've been drafting a lot in roto leagues is Camilo Duvall, Scott Barlow, and Dylan Floro. Chances that all three hold the job all year are pretty low, but they're all three going to start out with it. I think that's going to give me an early advantage even over somebody who invested in two high-end guys, you know, paid a lot more, but only for two guys as opposed to my three. It's going to give me an early advantage, and there's a good chance two of the three do keep the job all year. You know, I, I think they're in a position to do that. It's just going to mostly come down to how they perform. So I, that that seems like a more cost-efficient way to build the bullpen, and I'm willing to, to take on the added risk that comes with it uh, because I think the upside... You know, the upside when you're mostly thinking in terms of saves isn't going to be that different. All right, breakout for me, someone who's done it before. Taylor Rogers. the ADP is 245 as of now. I just think that he is far and away the best reliever in the Twins bullpen. I know he's a left-handed reliever, which typically we don't see a lot of left-handed closers in the game. But he's done it before, and he's done it under Rocco Baldelli. Baldelli's first season as the manager in 2019, Rodgers was the guy. He had 30 saves that season. He finished as a top 12 closer in fantasy that season. 2.61 ERA, 1.00 whip. You look at his ERA the last three full seasons that he's pitched, 2.63, 2.61, 3.35. And last year, his strikeout stuff was the best we've ever seen, over 13 strikeouts per nine. So there's a chance that you know they mix and match, but I think once they realize that Taylor Rogers is far and away their best reliever, that they're going to stick with him. And I think that he has a chance to, to truly return some massive value for those who play in Roto or Categories League. So I like targeting him as my second closer when I have someone like Ryan Presley or Emmanuel Class A as my first. So Taylor Rogers for me and Scotty a bust at relief pitcher. Giovanni Gallegos. It has nothing to do with performance. Scott, could... Lego my Gallegos. You're, know, you're turning I mean, your back on him. Well, that was what I named one of my fantasy teams two <laughs> years ago because I thought, oh, he's the best reliever. The Cardinals are going to make him the closer. Uh, so you know, I've learned. I've learned that they don't really want him to close. They'll do it if they have to, if they're backed into that corner what like they were at the end of last year, but that that's not really the role they want for him. So I think they'll be trying as early as spring training to make Gallegos not their closer, and I don't think I don't think his ADP really accounts for that possibility. All right. Bust for me. I've hinted at it a few times so far. That is Aroldis Chapman, who has an ADP of 102.5. Last year, a 3.36 ERA, 1.31 whip. 
He walked over six batters per nine last year with the Yankees. Uh, his ERA was the highest it was since 2011. The whip that I mentioned was a career high for Aroldis Chapman. He was amazing in the first two months of the season, but then there was that sticky substance crackdown, June 1st, around that time. The final four months for Chapman, 4.95 ERA, 1.62 whip. The K-minus walk percentage dropped tremendously, a 3.94 Sierra during that time. Among pitchers with at least 20 innings pitched last season, Chapman had the third biggest drop in K-minus walk rate from before the sticky substance crackdown to after the sticky substance crackdown. So I think, obviously, there's a chance that he bounces back. I think you could say that for most relievers or closers, but given the volatility already baked into the position, if I'm, I just, I don't want to mess around with that as my first closer. So, and I think that there is a lot of risk involved with drafting a role as Chapman as that. I have, I have a little bit of concern about Chapman for the reasons you mentioned. I don't seem to have, I don't think I have nearly as much concern about Chapman as you do because most of the struggles after the, the sticky, sticky substance ban were, they came immediately. He had a horrible stretch at the end of June start of July, his ERA ballooned from 178 to 471. But then from that point forward, basically half the season, 29 appearances, he had a 195 ERA. He struck out 48 and 27 and two-thirds innings at a 17% swinging strike rate. I mean, the stuff was still elite. He did walk way too many guys. So, you know, that might be attributable to the, to the, the sticky substance ban, but like, Apart from that, he dominated, and it still led to a sub-2 ERA. So I think I don't want to overrate that one very small stretch of the season where he was horrible. Uh, before we just talk about the the rest of uh, these ADP, the rest of the ADP, Scott, just quick thoughts on saves plus holds. I know a lot of people have transitioned into this format because, frankly, just playing with saves makes you want to rip your hair out. I kind of like it. I like you know how much strategy there is and and the chase of finding saves. It's what makes fantasy fun. Uh, but if you play in saves plus holds leagues, what is your strategy in that type of format? So obviously not to pay as much for reliever. I find that people tend to overvalue the high-end holds guys and undervalue the kind of mid-tier closers. Closers uh, accumulate saves at a faster rate than setup men accumulate holds. The league leader in saves is going to be around 40. The league leader in holds is going to be around 20. So if it's save plus holds and you're you're weighing them equally, you'd still rather get a saves source than a holds source. So I, I that that that's pretty much how I'd approach it. Is is yeah, I mean I still want to play up for Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, but um, somebody like Chapman potentially or Will Smith, you know, they're they're just they're not going to be valued nearly the same. And um, comparatively, I'd rather have them, I think, than like a Paul Seawalt. All right, yeah. I think if you play in a league where just holds is a category, how do you attack that stat? You want to find strong relievers on good teams. Uh, It's as simple as that. Specifically, the Atlanta Braves. I mean, they had three of the top 10 holds leaders last season in Luke Jackson, Tyler Matzik, and A.J. Minter. So I thought that was interesting. But uh, the rest of the holds leaders last year, Blake Trinan, Tyler Rogers, uh, Henesis Cabrera with the St. Louis Cardinals, Devin Williams, Brad Boxberger, uh, Andrew Chafin, Tyler Duffy, Yusmero Petit, 
Adam Adovino, Ryan Tapera, and Ryan Stanek with the Houston Astros. It's got the rest of the ADP from picks 180 through 200. Camilo Duval, who is somebody you mentioned you like to target yourself. Blake mm-hmm. Trinan, obviously. We didn't talk about this. If Kenley signs somewhere else and Blake Trinan becomes the guy, the ADP right now is 193. How much do you think he moves up? Do you think you could see Blake Trinan getting all the way up into that 110, 120 area yep. like Chapman and yep. and Kenley Jansen? Yeah, I think I think he could go around where Jordan Romano goes, which is you know basically that same range. Yep, I think that's what would happen. All right, so it could be a massive boon to Blake Trinan's value. Pick 200 to 240. Scott Barlow at pick 208. Corey Knable, 226.5. Cal Quantrill at 238.3. And Gregory Soto, 238.5. Scott, we talked a little bit about Soto earlier, but along with the questions that we have about his job security and the fact that Michael Fulmer was actually better than him, the strikeouts are good for Soto. The whip and the walks are really, really bad. So even if you're drafting Soto, like you have to bake in that he is going to actively hurt your whip every time he is out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I feel like that should be the least of your concerns, frankly. <laughs> right. It's just how consistently is he going to give you saves? I, he's, he's not somebody... I'm going to invest much of anything in. Like I would, I would definitely go Dylan Floro over him. I go Joe, Joe Barlow of the Rangers over him. I'd probably even go like Lou Trevino over him. All right, picks 240 through 260. Taylor Rogers at pick 245. David Bednar at 246. Jake McGee at 251.8. Garrett Whitlock at 257.3, and Aaron Ashby at 259.8. We didn't talk as much about. The Sparps, we mentioned them up top, obviously, Scott. I mean, Aaron Ashby is someone who a lot of smart people have pegged as a potential breakout candidate this year. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe more of a sleeper candidate. Obviously, there's a lot of crossover between those terms. I just don't know if he's going to start. I I don't know what his role is going to be, but I think the stuff is pretty filthy when when he's on the map. Yeah, I love the ability, elite ground ball skills, and swing and miss. That's, 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 uh, That's a high ceiling when you can combine those two skills. But yeah, I don't know when there's going to be an opportunity. There's no opening in the Brewers rotation right now. And look, at one point, Josh Hader was trying to break in as a starter, and it never ended up happening because he became so valuable as a bullpen piece. And and I, I fear that could happen with Aaron Ashby. But yeah, obviously, I like the upside. All right, picks 260 through 280. Joe Barlow at 262. Lou Trevino, 264.3. And Dylan Floro at 276.3. We Obviously, Scott, you like Scott Barlow, but Joe Barlow, he was the closer down the stretch. The underlying number is not as good. The Rangers are a team where they're making all these moves. It wouldn't surprise me if they try to bring somebody else in as well. I'd be a little surprised, but... Okay. But yeah, it could happen. It could happen. I, I think uh, as long as they don't, Barlow's clearly going to be the guy to begin the year. I just don't know if he's good enough to hold on to it. Yep. So I prefer I prefer Dylan Floro among the pitchers who fall, fit into that category. But Joe Barlow is kind of my backup to Floro. And then Lou Trevino is kind of my backup to Joe Barlow. <laughs> Picks 280 through 300. Matt Barnes, 289.3. Drew Rasmussen, 292. Lucas Sims, 292. Andrew Kittredge at 295.8. Alex Reyes at 296.8. And Devin Williams at 297. 300 plus ADP, Christian Javier, Paul Sewald, Ian Kennedy, Denelson Lamette, 
Michael Fulmer, Rowan Wick, and Ken Giles. Anything that you'd like to add on that group, Scott? Giles, Wick, Fulmer, Lamette, Kennedy, Seawald, Javier. Oh, I think we've... I mean, I'm curious to see if Javier's ever going to get a chance to start again. He was fine as a starter. He's good as a starter, but then they sent him to the bullpen middle way through last season and never brought him back to the rotation. So I don't, I don't know what the plan is for him, but very curious to find out. All right. Uh, one note, one player, a pitcher I want to mention specifically, James Karinchak, who, you know, we talk about how secure Emmanuel Class A seems in his role for the Guardians. Uh, and part of that, a big, you know, obviously part of it's how good Class A was last year, but James K- Karinchak wasn't the same in the second half. Like, he looks like a guy who may have been completely ruined by the foreign substance crackdown. 68 strikeouts in 39 and a third innings in the first half. So almost two to one there. A little less than two to one, but 15.6K per nine. 5.6K per nine in the second half. Yikes. With 10 walks to 10 strikeouts. Like his stuff and it's in a spin rates were way down. Like it just, he just wasn't right anymore. And I don't know if he ever will be again, but I, I don't think he's, a serious threat to Emmanuel Class A as things stand right now. All right, for those who play in deep, deep draft and hold leagues, some of my favorite late-round darts, Anthony Bender, Jorge Alcala with the Minnesota Twins, Chris Stratton with the Pirates. It is crazy to me that Chris Stratton's ADP is 497, and David Bednar's ADP is 246. So unless I miss something, I know that Bednar is the better reliever, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they should be that far apart. Uh, Art Warren is another one. Brad Boxberger and Dylan Coleman, super deep. Uh, he's in the Royals bullpen. The stuff is nasty for uh, Dylan Coleman. Let's wrap it up, Scotty. We're gonna end it with the new Kokomo Friday. I think the uh, point that many people have been waiting for. I, I teased it. I threw it out there on Twitter. Once again, want to thank our our buddies who put it together here. Our friends uh, Doc Crotzer. And I want to make sure I get the name correctly here. Dave Scaff, Doc Crotzer and Dave Scaff, our buddies here. I played uh, softball with Doc. He's a great softball player. So thanks again to those guys for putting it together. We'll play it here. We'll have a few final thoughts for you, and then we'll wrap up the weekend. But here it goes, Kokomo 2022. Enjoy. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, bounce back. Ferrer and Nola, Giolito, Castillo, Yoshido, Mosutsugo. Live from NYC. And wrapping gifts near Miami. Set sail with FBT, your course to victory. Don't sleep on OBP, memories and cabin B. Chris talks of fans you'll never see. Scott hates Ted Lasso on his Twitter. <laughs> Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Mousepack, Ferrer and Nola. Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusuka. Oh
Frank loves him some Connor Joe. And not only do I love me some Connor Joe, I love the new rendition of Kokomo Friday. Once again, yes. shout out to our guys, uh, Doc Kreitzer and Dave Scaff for helping us out with that. Uh, it's it's awesome, Scott. I mean, I, I'm blown away. It's amazing. I love it. I know. Like, they just... The, the, the thing that... Uh, uh, the way he mixes the music and uses the vocals and it. like it it it's it's so much the song is so much better than like the actual kokomo forget the clever lyrics that are about <laughs> us and fantasy baseball like it's just a it just is a good song you know <laughs> in a way that the actual song it's based on isn't so man yeah, it's like it. try to listen to that song without bobbing your head it is impossible i mean it just puts a smile on your face every time you hear it so moving forward obviously we'll play the new kokomo but we'll still mix in the old one because i'm sure our fbt ogs out there they love hearing the uh adam loves him some uh i i just messed it up scott the uh, raisins are shriveled grapes so there you go there you that's go. what i wanted to say and I, I completely butchered it but of course uh, i love the og kokomo as well so shout out to those guys for putting it together and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun moving forward we're gonna wrap there for scott i am frank thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today we'll be back again on monday bye-bye the wait is over the Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.